Hey everybody, welcome back to Radio Imbibe from Imbibe Magazine. I'm Paul Clark, the executive editor of Imbibe, and it's early May 2022. Over the past couple of weeks, our brand new May-June issue has landed in subscribers' mailboxes and on the shelves of participating retailers all across the country. There are lots of things we're really proud about in that issue. There's Miranda Rake's feature article on the supply chain crisis and how it's impacting the wine world, John Kessler's exploration of the booming business of alternative milks, and Chastity Cooper's profile of wine educator Siobhan Ball. And right there on the cover of that issue, we're making a stand for the vodka martini and taking a fresh look at what remains the biggest selling spirit in the country. We're going to get into the vodka martini in the next episode of this podcast, so be sure to subscribe and check that out if you enjoy them, or even more importantly, if you're not on the vodka martini train. But first, we want to take a serious look at vodka and flavored vodka from one of the distillers who's helping to shape the category today. Lance Winters has been a part of St. George Spirits in Alameda, California for more than a quarter of a century, making spirits including whiskeys, gins, fruit brandies, and yes, vodkas, including St. George's all-purpose vodka, their California citrus vodka, and their green chili vodka. And this year also marks the 40th anniversary of the distillery's founding, first established as an Oda V distillery by Jorg Rupf in 1982. For this episode, we're chatting with Lance Winters about St. George's approach and philosophy to vodka, how this path overlaps with the distillery's approach to the other spirits they make, and about pursuing the art of distillation in the years ahead as St. George enters its fifth decade. Thank you for doing this, and Lance Winters, thank you for joining me for the podcast. Yeah, Paul, it's always a blast to be able to, to chat with you. Now, this is St. George Spirit's 40th anniversary, and I want to get into that here in a few minutes. Uh, but before we do, to kick things off, the subject that brings you here today is vodka, uh, which you make and uh, and have made for a number of years. St. George started out as an Eau de Vie distiller with Jorg uh, and started making whiskey and gin and other spirits over the years. Why go down the vodka route? Where, where's the appeal there for you as a craft distiller? There's a, there's a lot of reason for it. Uh, one of them is there are, there are certain flavors and aromas that you really can't express in any other fashion other than a flavored vodka. Flavored vodka is, is, is a blank canvas that you can really have a lot of fun playing with. And, and as we talk about some of the ones that we've made, we can get into exactly what that means for each individual product. But uh, that's one aspect of it. The other one is that that we want to introduce ourselves to as many people as possible out in the out in the drinking world. And there are a lot of people who would shy away from whiskey. There are a lot of people that would shy away from gin. This is our way of introducing ourselves, hopefully getting them comfortable with what it is we do as craft distillers, and then pull them into the tent so that they can experience more things. Uh, we want to create some stepping stones for people who are, are maybe afraid of uh, of some bigger, bolder categories. Now, before we get into the flavored vodka, you do also have an all-purpose vodka that you do. You know, when you look at the at the world of vodkas on the shelf now, uh, a lot of the vodkas in a liquor store may have similar or- origins, uh, or even the same origins. Really? You know, <laughs> Um, you know, a lot, a lot of you know, they're made from the same bulk producer, uh, the neutral spirit, uh, a lot of the same grains and so forth. You, you, for your vodka, you take something of a hybrid path. Is that correct? Yeah, that's totally correct. Um, you know, I, I never like just putting somebody else's product in a bottle and calling that a day. That's that uh, it takes the fun out of it. The, the reason that we wake up in the morning is to be able to make things. And so we, we do take the blank canvas of a non-GMO corn neutral spirit uh but then onto that we uh, we paint some air distillate 
that we have distilled out to 95% and above. It doesn't smell and taste just like pears at that point, but it, it gives just the right sense of softness, uh, a little bit of floral appeal, and uh, it, it makes a very, very approachable unflavored vodka. Really, at the end of the day, in the, in the unflavored vodka game, it all boils down to impurities, right? And, and we hear a lot of marketing companies. Marketing companies typically don't know a whole lot about distillation. Uh, they do know a lot about people. And so they talk about purity and they talk about being distilled 16 times and packed through, uh, filtered through a, a bug's ass pack with moot rocks and diamond dust. Uh, and that's what makes a vodka good. But that's not true. It's the impurities that make them good. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't matter what you made it from. If it's pure ethanol, it's pure ethanol. So we're going for the impurities that come from those pears. And four decades of being uh, O2B distillers taught us that at the very beginning of a still run with those pears, where you've got a relatively neutral character, it's still soft and super approachable. So that became the the stepping stone for us to start working with uh, with the pair in our all-purpose vodka, and the all-purpose being just sort of a, a, a our cheeky nod to uh, how crazy the the entire category can be. And you know, you say impurities, and and impurity kind of conveys you know something's wrong, but in the spirits world, impurities that's also that's flavor, that's character. It's like the Wizard of Oz uh, with witches. You've got good witches and bad witches. The connotation with impurity is is almost overwhelmingly negative for people. But um, if it weren't for impurities, you and I would be Mother Teresa. Uh, and, and I appreciate the impurities, Paul Clark, that make you who you are. Uh, and I hope you do the same for me. And and it's an impurity that makes, or it's a number of impurities that makes Calvados taste like apples instead of like ethanol. It's impurities that make single malt whiskey tastes like single malt whiskey instead of pure ethanol. And so what we have to do is get comfortable with the idea that, that impurities are there to do us some favors. And what you want to do is accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, uh, get rid of as many of the negative impurities, the things that have uh, a negative sensory impact as possible. A moment ago, when you were talking about impurities in, in vodka, you, you used the word softness. And when we think of vodka, because, you know, Typically, people think of it as something colorless and odorless, but softness, texture is something that can really come into play when you're doing something that is ostensibly neutral or that is ostensibly flavorless, but it gives a certain kind of feel to the spirit. There, there's a sensation when you're drinking it. Yeah, absolutely. And when, you, when, you're, when you're tasting just pure, 100% pure ethanol that's been cut with pure water, um, it does tend to have some sharpness, which sometimes that's enjoyable. Um, I, I used to really enjoy only having Bloody Marys with really bad vodka, the cheapest stuff I could get because I wanted a Bloody Mary to have a bite to it. But there are other times where you just want to be sipping something soft. And that, that pear, there are, there are esters from the pear that come over that give that softness. They, they fool the palate into thinking that there's more texture there than there is. And in terms of neutrality, like you said, you know, sometimes you want something that is that just the pure ethanol cut with pure water. In terms of neutrality, in terms of making a spirit that's totally neutral, there is a part of the vodka universe that where that's very desirable. As a distiller, how challenging is it to make something that's actually, you know, at that level of purity? A lot of people think, oh, you just, you know, distill it, distill it, take out everything, and then you're there. But it's actually a little bit more complicated than that. It is, but I would say that if, as a distiller, you can't do that, you should probably find a different line of work. We can, and and what I'd say is that if you can't make something 
that doesn't have impurities, I hope it's because you can't do it emotionally, spiritually. You know, you you can't drive yourself to make something neutral. When when we're down on the stills and and you get these amazing flavors and aromas coming over, it's it's so boring to think about standing at the still and having something that doesn't have that. So, you know, we, we only have so many days on this planet. We want to, we want to spend them doing things that we truly enjoy. And so being able to, to make things that smell and taste amazing, that's what it's about. Uh, neutral, we'll, we'll leave that to refineries. Now, flavored vodkas, uh, as you mentioned, you know, you, you make a couple of flavored vodkas uh, oh, and there's an appeal in the in the vodka world uh for working with natural ingredients and looking for natural flavors as you and i both know there are plenty of flavored vodkas out there in the shelf a lot of them come from uh flavor concentrates or or you know flavor extracts that are put into to neutral spirits uh but then there is this move to to try to do something natural and to work with natural ingredients but that's also a very tough mark to hit uh to actually get the kind of flavor and character that you're looking for and to get it to endure in the spirit for vodkas like your green chili vodka or your california citrus vodka what kind of processes involved to find the kind of flavor in those components that you want and actually successfully put that into the spirit? It's it's a great question, Paul. The um, the green chili is the one that I'll start with. And it started with, uh, with a party that we had here probably 17 years ago. Uh, a brilliant bartender out here named Scott Beatty was here making, uh, making some cocktails. You're probably familiar with him. Um, and he was making a cocktail called the Irian Jaya. And to make this cocktail, his his mixology game is just as tight as his uh, his garnish game. And the garnish on this called for two perfectly sized rings of red jalapeno. And to cut those two, he only took the center third of each jalapeno and then threw away the stem and, and the tip. And he started putting all those in a bucket. End of the night, after he's making these cocktails, I've got a three-gallon bucket that's full of these pepper pieces. Well, as a distiller, I'm constantly curious. And so we put a bunch of grain neutral spirit on that and let it sit for the weekend. Came back on Monday and ran it through the still. And what we got was this beautiful crystal clear liquid that smelled and tasted like peppers minus the heat. And, and anytime we have an experiment like that, we, we lock it away in the memory banks for, for something that we might do later. So what we ended up doing when we wanted to do, uh, jump back into the flavored vodka game, uh, started thinking about salsa fresca and wanted to convey that sense of, uh, of salsa fresca into a glass. And so we packed the still full of uh, jalapenos. They're uh, green jalapenos that we get about an hour away from the distillery. That's where the farm is. And we put that in there with corn, uh, corn-based non-GMO uh, neutral spirit and lime peel. And then we put fresh cilantro in the Carter head, uh, botanicals infusion basket. As this stuff distills over, again, we get something that's crystal clear, that smells like peppers. It's got that, that brightness from the lime. It's got some soft, herbaceous notes from the cilantro. After that, um, we, we knew that we wanted more than just that. And so a secondary infusion with red and yellow bell peppers for mouthfeel, because we want that mouthfeel, um, and uh, some serranos and habaneros to get a touch of spice. You don't want it to be we don't want this to be something that's like a fraternity hazing tool. Uh, uh, the last thing I want is people to dare one another to drink this. I want them to dare one another not to drink this. Um, on each subsequent sip, you get a little bit more heat, but it never overpowers. It never overwhelms. Uh, it's as at home in uh, a, a strawberry agua fresca as it is in a Bloody Mary. 
it makes the the best mule you've ever had because the the spiciness of that ginger beer it replaces the spiciness of the pepper and the beauty of ginger spice is that it just it pops on your palate and then it's gone you don't need a quart of milk to be able to rinse it away uh, and, and be able to sense other things again so it's uh, it's very versatile. It's a lot of fun. And then also, you you make the citrus vodka. We do, and and citrus is one of those things that you know, as eau de vie distillers, I wish that we could just crush a whole bunch of oranges and ferment them and distill them, but uh, they don't taste well with that. And so the the whole idea here is that there's so much flavor and so much aroma that lives in the oils that are in the skin that you put those skins into uh, an alcohol bath and then you distill that and you can capture these beautiful aromatics. And with the, the California citrus, what we wanted to do was build uh, a sort of a, a proto-robo Franken-citrus that, uh, that has all these different characteristics that we really love. So the, the warmth of the Valencia, you know, that, that smell that you get from the orange that your mom put in your lunchbox, uh, and you're sitting there and you can smell it, you can see the, the oil spraying as you're peeling it. Um, the Seville, is a bitter orange, um, but you don't get that bitterness over from distilling the skin. You just get really bright, focused, spicy orange notes. And then we go further down into that with bergamot, which is another orange, but it's one that you typically find in an Earl Grey tea. Uh, it's that bright, peppery sort of citrus note. Blending all those together at the, the right levels gives this really pretty, well-rounded picture that uh, as just a, a, a vodka and soda is super refreshing with a splash of lele or without. And it's, uh, it also makes a, makes a very, very nice Cosmo. And so, you know, when you're talking about both of these flavored vodkas, again, a lot of the flavored vodkas, especially from like newer producers who are coming online, uh, they're trying to experiment around and find their, find their way forward. It may be, they may follow more either the uh, using a, a flavoring ingredient or more like a infusion maceration. The process you're describing is almost more like making a gin or an absinthe uh, by the way that you're infusing and then redistilling the spirit. Yeah, one of the things that, that um, 40 years of experience has taught us here is that uh, shelf stability is a really important thing. And just a straight up infusion, one, it's, it's something that anybody can do at home. So why am I going to go pay you to make me an infusion that I could make at home? Uh, the other side of it is uh, I want to have something that if it sits on my shelf and I don't use it all right away, I can come back to it and I, I, I'm going to have the same product that I had when I first opened the bottle. So that, that, methodology that we put into play there does that it, it's also the the only way to capture the flavors that we really like and and to the other side of it just adding flavors to something uh it, it takes away the fun uh we are here to distill things that that turn us on and if all we're doing is grabbing a bottle of something and and not actually filling the stills with cupcakes it's uh i don't know it's it's an opportunity missed now, as I said earlier, this is St. George Spirit's 40th year, uh, started as an Ode distiller, uh, getting in on the big Ode action. Uh, how, did that or <laughs> how did that origin continue to inform what St. George has become with these flavored vodkas, with gins, with whiskeys, with absinthe, with California shochu, and all of the other things that you've made over the years? Um, so, so your group, our founder, was brilliantly stubborn to your to your very sarcastic point about uh, about the, the great O de V revolution of 1982, it was not the sort of thing that people were, were racing to the stores to buy. 
But what it did was it informed uh, a generation of distillers as, what you, as to what you could do with actual real ingredients. The fact that you could, you could make something that had so much character, so much flavor. That continues to inform how we do things here, reaching for the, the agricultural before anything else. And that's, that's been a big thing. The other thing that I think is probably the most important thing that came from that beginning was York, York is and will ever be a very, very harsh self-critic. And he taught all of us that you have to be your own worst critic. Because if you haven't looked at what you're making with that sort of critical eye before you release it, somebody else is just going to hammer you with it. And so nothing leaves here that we're not wildly in love with. And, and I think the other thing that helped us out was I, I didn't have a love for O to B when I first started thinking about distilling. I, was, I wanted to be a whiskey distiller. When I showed up at St. George 26 years ago, the goal was to take what I knew about brewing learn about distilling from Jorg and turn that into just making whiskey. But Jorg in his very Mr. Miyagi way said, okay, we can make some whiskey, but first you need to go distill those pears. Now you need to go distill those raspberries. And, and pretty soon the whole wax on wax off thing taught me to be, to, to love distillation. It's to the point now where, when people say, well, are you guys a gin distillery? Are you a whiskey distillery? Are you a liqueur company? No, we, we are we are distillers. Uh, you don't ask a chef if 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 he's a soup chef. <laughs> you 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 figure that he's going to go to the market, be inspired by what he sees, uh, and then do the best thing that he can do with that. And that's our goal: is to be inspired by our world and then deliver that inspiration in a bottle to whoever wants to drink it. And also. You know, I, as we were talking about O to V and starting off as an O to V distillery and how O to V is, is never going to be, you know, like flying off the shelves like other forms of spirits. Still, that kind of informs your perspective as a distiller in terms of doing things for the sake of beauty, doing things for the sake of, of excellence. Uh, I mean, you still need things to fly off the shelf to, to keep the lights on. But by incorporating that philosophy into all of the spirits that you make, it helps make you distinctive as a craft distiller. Yeah, I... I... Thank you. Uh, you and you bring up a great point. And and for a while, I wanted to drift away from the category of craft distiller and and really look at this more as an art form because there are a lot of things that we do that there's no really compelling commercial reason to do them. Yeah, everybody really was chasing down a California shochu when we started making shochu. It, 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 we we do it because there are things that are there that are they're just too beautiful not to do. You know, uh, writers write, painters paint, distillers distill, and and it is an art form because uh, it can convey emotional content to another human being, and that's that's a big part of what we work on here. But yeah, the less sense it makes to make something, the more likely we are to do it. And you know, when when Jorg first founded the distillery back in 1982, it was a very lonely job uh, that he had. There weren't really any other craft distillers in the United States, or maybe a couple. I'm not really sure where, what the status was then, but it was, you know, it was lonely. Now here we are, 40 years later. There, I've lost count of how many craft distillers there are, how many small distillers, how many small distillers that have become large distillers over the years. Over the course of those years, as you have continued to kind of refine this identity and refine this perspective that you, that you have, how has this profusion of other distillers informed you about what you're making and the and your own direction forward? I try I try not to pay attention uh, because because a lot of times I just turn into the cranky old distiller who's going, hey, "Kids, get off my lawn." Uh, 
Uh, and, uh, but then there are other times where I see people doing beautiful things. Um, it doesn't really inform us. It just keeps us truer to our path. I, I want us to stay who we are. Uh, there are times where, uh, just between you and me, uh, I get jealous of people who have these just beautiful, shiny, uh, tens of millions of dollars facilities. It's so cool. I want a playground like that. But end of the day, we continue to do what we do and grow because we are a group of human beings who, through their lives, change, mature, uh, and, and the spirits tend to reflect that. We try and keep on top of uh, doing the things that we've always done. The Pero to be and the Raspberry to be continue to be here, even though I mean, there's, there's a bigger market for those than there used to be. But uh, we'll, we won't stop making those because they're things of beauty. I've... I've been heartened by a lot of the people who, who have joined into this community. Just to come back real quick to, to uh, the prehistory, when, when York started, there were no other small distillers in this country. He, uh, he then helped uh, Steve McCarthy up at Clear Creek get off the ground, uh, helped Randall Graham down at Bonnie Dune get started. He helped Fritz Maytag with his first still and, because he realized that one guy doing this was just a crazy person but a group of them would be a movement and he helped that movement get off the ground. Joubert, uh, Germain Robin was, uh, was quick afterwards and, and he didn't need any help from York because he came from a family of distillers as well as uh, the Karakasevich family, which, uh, which you know, they were distillers themselves. Uh, at at Chardonnay for, for folks who are- Yeah, aren't. exactly. And, uh, and they continue to do it. But, but York really went big into training other people to be able to get this movement afoot. And I, I firmly believe that the industry would not be where it is were it not for, for York's insistence on helping people out. Now, you know, anniversaries are always a time to, to look back as we've been doing, but it's also a time to look ahead. Uh, at, at where do you go from here? What do the next few years, when you look out at your career and, and, and what's going on with, with the folks that you've worked with, with Dave, where, where do you go from what you have built to this point? I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking at trying to figure out how to, uh, to make things more effective here. We're running out of room because we have a lot of barrels on the floor now. Uh, so the thought is, uh, is out there right now about setting up a separate whiskey facility so that we can, we can have that. Uh, all of our barrel storage, all of our whiskey distillation somewhere else, which is going to help alleviate some of the, uh, the craziness on our production floor. But, uh, but for me, we, we've also hired on uh, a CEO here at the distillery. Fortunately, I didn't tank the business in between in, in the last, uh, what's it been, 13 years, I think, that, that I've been at the helm. But it'll be great to have somebody else making sound business decisions um, and, and allowing me to go back and focus on what what really truly motivates me and that's creating stuff. So I, I, I see the next five years as, uh, as some great creative time. Fantastic. Well, Lance, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about vodka, talk about St. George spirits and, and everything that you guys have been doing over the years. Yeah, like I said, Paul, it's always a kick to be able to speak with you. I, uh, I enjoy the opportunity. Thank you. Find out more about the St. George Spirits Distillery and all the spirits they make at stgeorgespirits.com. And that's it for this episode. As I mentioned at the outset of this show, we've got more vodka coverage coming your way in the next episode. So subscribe to Radio Imbibe on your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. 
We've got plenty of articles and recipes for you online at imbibemagazine.com. And give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, or Facebook for all of our day-to-day coverage. And if you're not already a subscriber to the print and or digital issues of Imbibe, then let's change that. Just follow the link in this episode's notes and we'll be happy to help you out. I'm Paul Clark. This is Radio Imbibe. Catch you next time.